All right, we're here with David Manica in the podcast room, <laughs> surrounded by soundproof walls. Dun, 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 All right, dun, anyway, dun, dun, dun. we're talking about the mental health dilemma. Mm-hmm. Period. We're yes. gonna we're gonna put it on a year. We're gonna put it on a date. We're gonna we're gonna take it out for a date. No, this is what we're talking about. Let's yes. just dive in. Jump right in. You know, John and I do. A, John does a ton of career support for folks and. I help him with that. We talked a little bit about this thing called C time, which is time for yourself. And this concept is all wrapped around the mental health dilemma. But here's the skinny. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. This You're saying in general, in general, this the world, current, the culture we're in, the culture we're in, the current pandemic environment we're in, the confusion we're in, things are going to get worse. And it's only going to get better if we as human beings start understanding what's holding us back. Our, Does anyone need any proof that the, there's mental health issues? Some if they people, do, I they're, think, they're, if they do, they're blind. Okay, because some people think that it's just been manufactured to be something to be concerned about or to be agitated about. But suicide rates the, are up across the board. All the data I was going to say. All the data shows. 50, Young ladies, yes. fifty-one percent suicide attempts are up. Like it's all. UNC I don't even want crisis. to start. Quoting. UNC was at the crisis level. University of North Carolina Chapel Hill was in crisis level a few months ago, associated with multiple suicides in a row. And so this is not going to get. The Surgeon better. General, even recently in this in this world, has has said this is a crisis. Anyway, we could go. It's from, only going to get better, though, John, if we understand it ourselves. All right, let's go then. So the first thing we have to remember that I think we've forgotten is that we're communal creatures. We are tribes people, tribes men, tribes women. We operate in groups. We thrive in clans. We thrive in villages. We thrive in communities. Okay, well and good, we can put that onto the internet and we create these communities of interest on the internet, but it's not face-to-face. Ah, uh, David, that's the old days. Now we're all virtual. Come on, David. Where do you feel? You've done thousands of trainings yeah, online. Not, none of it was the same. None <laughs> of it was the same connection. None of it was the same feeling of euphoria I've got. I, got, I would receive connecting with folks. None of the same eye contact. None of the same follow-up or follow-through. Completely different. Even if you do it, you're still, even if you do the online stuff, you're still isolating yourself. That's the second problem here. Isolation is horrible for us as creatures. Even if you're in electronic environments, that isolation, you need to connect face-to-face. You need to connect one-to-one or one-to-many to feed what is evolutionary in our system, to feed the brain's need for consistency, to feed, to feed the brain's need for some status quo and to feed the brain's need for some stability. It's, I'm ha- I've had the feeling, and a lot of people around me, it seems like we're supposed to be in this virtual world. We're supposed to turn our, ourselves off of this connecting environment, and it's unnatural, is the way I've described it since the beginning. This is, and I've told my kids and other kids, I said, hey, you're in an unnatural environment, you know, because they're complaining about um, anxiety, on anxiety medicine, so a lot of yes, kids, not just kids, younger people, but people in the workforce, etc. All right, keep going. Well, you're hitting it right in the head, John. That's the issue. Basically, it is unnatural for us to operate in a virtual community environment 
We're not getting the same type of endorphin rush. We're not getting the same type of feeling of connection. We're not getting the same type of feeling of camaraderie. And we're not getting the same type of consistency. You go to church online, all well and good. You go to church physically, you see the same people around you. You see the same families around you. You even sit in the same seat because you want that communal aspect. You want that consistency. You want to see the change happen, but over time, you get none of that consistently. You get none of that communal connection. Even when if you're, you're close to people, there's people that you know you're putting on. You're putting a barrier up, and I'm not saying not to do it. You're you're masking up. Yeah. You're getting. You're not physically close. A lot of the anger of our culture right now is because when you create the virtual environments, you basically create a wall that protects you. So you'll you will say things that you wouldn't normally say in the virtual environment compared to face-to-face. -face. You will do things in the virtual environment that you normally wouldn't do face-to-face. -face. God forbid we're all becoming heroic commenters on stories online or something terrible like we're that. We're becoming horrible commenters online, protecting ourselves. Not We're protected from the impact onto the other person. So we're losing our empathy. We're losing our humanity. We're becoming creatures of our id instead of understanding all the things around that make up a community, which is compromise, sacrifice, being willing to step it down a little bit, not driving your pride. Electronically, you can drive your pride. I'm in this community of people who think just like me. Mm. Oh, you're going to feast on that, but you're not bringing in any other consenting voices. You're not learning how to compromise. You're not learning how to look at the other direction of things. So this lack of communal face-to-face -face environment where you have to adjust you have to pivot, you have to sway a little bit, is causing us irreparable harm. Now here's the other problem, work from home. People think it's great, and I understand that, but to me, over the course of time, work from home will be the noose around your mental health, be it around your neck. So even if you're doing it, even if you want it, even if it's better temporarily, you've got a younger child, this kinds of things, you're saying be watchful, yeah, so don't just, don't just go, oh, this is great. And then have other outputs then. All right, if you're going to work from home, great. Where are you going to exercise? What are your communal groups? Are you visiting friends more? Are you staying active? Are you slowly but surely isolating yourself to the fact that you're omnipresent in the house? You're getting no other inputs, no other pieces of feedback, no other pushes to be different and to force yourself to be different, to force yourself to grow that becomes a problem. We're not just documenting the dilemma. We are saying that there should be options to start breaking out of this isolation, this masking of your humanity, yes. and the pullback that we've seen. You've, you say, and I agree, it's causing irreparable harm that we probably don't know the impact of I don't until know we yet. get it's scaring me. a couple of years. But, but we're we, losing we our better humanity. be doing something about this now. We're losing our humanity. And humanity means the ability to work in cognitively diverse and diverse groups and do it successfully. Okay. And not do it because it's being regulated. So here's the deadly mix. Isolation, work, and social. Reduced exercise. Fear of the uncertain future. And as a change happens faster and faster, more and more uncertainty of the future, lack of purpose, lack of understanding of a purpose, and then finally lack of personal control, feeling that I don't have any control. The great resignation, whether it's true or not, is all about people looking for control in a world where they don't have any. <laughs> At least they can control that.
because I know I can get a job somewhere else at a certain level based on certain skill sets. So the great resignation is someone trying to grab agency where otherwise they feel their control is gone. I step outside, I'm going to die. I can't go here without a mask. I can't do this without that. And so this issue, isolation, reduction of exercise, the fear of the uncertain future, lack of, lack of control, and loss of purpose is really driving this forward and really making this become an issue. Well, you've given some instruction of what we do about it. As we start to wind down, what do we do now? Well, I think we have to attack it. And you've got to be aware first. And if you're saying to yourself, I feel okay, I'm doing pretty well, that's the best time to attack it. The worst time to attack it is when you're already feeling depressed, when you're already feeling anxious. That we'll take action, get yeah. help. But, yeah, if, exactly. you're in a, but if you're in anything that might be considered acute. Yes. So the first thing is you, you have to understand cognitive behavioral therapy and didactic behavioral therapy. I mean, these are things that have been brought out in the last 10, 15 years. They've been around longer than that. But you have to look at understanding where your actions are coming from. Actions come from beliefs that drive thoughts, that drive emotions, that drive actions. The problem we're having is our beliefs are starting to erode and change based on all the changes of an uncertain future, based on all the changes associated with lack of control, based on isolationism, all this stuff is affecting our beliefs. So this very first step is take the time to reevaluate your purpose. Look at your purpose from the past, look at what your new purpose should be, what you think it should be based on all the change and all the disruption, and then readjust your beliefs accordingly. Most times we never had to do that because there wasn't much change. Now in this catastrophic change environment, you have to understand that level. And then you have to get used to catching your thoughts. What are you actually saying to yourself before you're going to bed? What are you really saying to yourself when you're in the shower? Because those thoughts will drive emotions that you don't even know are going on, and the emotions will spark actions. The reality is most people who are having anxiety, it's not the emotion of anxiety that's driving it, it's the thoughts behind the anxiety. I'm going to die. I'm never going to live normally again. I'm never going to be able to go out and visit my friends. I'm going to get Omicron and spread it to my parents. I'm not going to have a real school experience like I thought I'd have in college. I mean, all these things are then, this is never going to go away. You know, all these type of things are then feeding the emotions which then cause anxiety, which actions become more isolationism, less interaction, which then feeds it more and then it brings you down. And regardless of where you stand politically, yes, on, on, that, yeah. on the finances or economics, there is a business around, and there is are people and entities that would have you disturbed like this. This state of disturbance. Oh, they want to use it against can you. Can be yes. very helpful to certain business yes. interests and so on. Let's not be paranoid here, but let's just say Facebook is built on this. Man, come on, they want ad spend. They're based on making you agitated. Action of being on Facebook is built on emotion. And when you say Facebook, agitated. you're saying nearly every social media channel. Every, most of them are built this way, yes. Exactly, about agitation. Agitation leads to emotion. Emotion leads to reaction, which is action on those sites. And those sites provide value and they have people on the sites which they can feed ads to. So yes, there is an element of the things that we sell both politically and socially, mm -hmm. the tools that we use to interact, which are 
feeding this pipe. The information society is working against us in this because it's not connected. It's not face-to-face. It's not communal face-to-face. It's electronic, which then builds that barrier we talked about, which allows people to be what they're not. It allows people to, to pridefully do things without understanding the repercussions of their words and their actions. But you're starting to see some of that manifest in the flesh. All over the place, yeah. The because worst, the tongue. The tongue is the evil, the evil <laughs> of all evils. And we can't control the tongue because in Internet, the tongue is right, written. We can't control that. Look at what Alexander Hamilton. He caused an uproar because of his words. His words were so powerful. They were scared of him because of how well he wrote, how eloquently. So it's not just speaking. It's also what you write and what's being written, which fuels this. Instead of looking to somebody face-to-face when you're not going to write and, and say it, And it can things. be in a few words in bite-sized chunks. That oh, yeah, that's pushing the Pushing and pushing and pushing on and, us. And then nobody's deeply thinking about it. Nobody's taking the time to more deeply dig in. And that's what DBT is. So CBT is understanding where your actions come from. DBT is using your logical mind to fight your emotional mind so that you can begin to have distress tolerance. Is that possible regardless of your personality yes, background. Doesn't I'm matter. more emotional and creative. No, no, no I'm more logical and no, then, then you, you don't have break, to have that. No, you have to weigh both. It's like yin okay. and yang. DBT talks so about So you can that. work on these. Yes, DBT, I'm more emotional. So I understand when I'm going through my tough times using DBT, I got to bring the logic out more. Great example. My daughter is talking to me on the phone that she's walking home from UNCA. She's, I'm in here. She's at UNCA. She's walking home. She wants someone to talk to. Oh, this is on her phone's eyes. My distress. Your thoughts go off. She got kidnapped. She got hit by a car. Yep. You know, she tripped and broke her leg. That's me emotional. All the emotional based on my thoughts. I can't trust people. I can't trust the world. Something bad is always going to happen. That's my belief, and that drives to my thoughts, my emotions. Now I'm freaking out. Didactic behavioral therapy then says, logically, Dave, think about this. Okay. If she was captured, her phone would still be on. It wouldn't have automatically died. So I'd hear that. If she got hit by a car, I would hear the car screeching and her screaming because the phone would break in the air after she got hit by a car. And then logically speaking, since I don't hear anything, most likely it is the fact that the phone died. So I used the logic to overcome my emotional side to start saying, okay, just relax. All's good. But that's the use of DBT where you're balancing your emotional mind with your logical mind and trying to fend off emotional distressors with logic. Or if you're too logical, trying to bring in some of the emotional aspect to balance the situation out. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So next is change. We just have to come to terms that change is now here. Never going to go away. Always going to change. Omicron will come and go. Something else will replace it. This will replace that. That will replace this. Iran might look good, but another crazy leader comes up. Afghanistan might look good, but two other crazy leaders are going to come up. Except the world is going to change. Stability is not there. So what you then have to do is you have to change and adjust your brain to handle something it hates. Our brains hate change. Time discounting, loss, regret are both ways that our brain combats change. Our brain likes today more than tomorrow because it fears change. So it will force you to be in the same spot you're in all the time and not let you change. Emotionally, physically, economically, yeah, everything. Stay right because I know this box. I know Fat David. I'm comfortable with Fat David. I don't want Fat David to change. So I'm gonna, my brain's going to have me eating more. My brain's going to have me doing things to stay in this the box. The people I see in here you know, in, in not... 
terribly just toxic environments. Yeah, I'm gonna stay there because I'm used to it. I have to. Yeah. Then the other thing is is lost regret. I'm not gonna change because I fear failing. So I'm gonna value today, I'm gonna fear changing because I'm gonna fail. So I'm stuck in this box, my brain box of not wanting to change. So you, that's where CBT comes in, that's where retraining your brain to accept change, to use it as, a, as, a, as an ability to understand it's always gonna happen. So then your brain just realizes that change is normal. We fear change totally. a lot because it means we have to do something that's uncomfortable and out, of our, yes. and out of our normal patterned thought process. Yes. And it may require different thoughts and new relationships. Ah, oh, do I got to do all that? Because your brain hates that. A brain is not only about survival, it's about efficiency. That's where Daniel Kuteman's thinking slow and fast. System one thinking is where your brain wants to be. And it's preset heuristic patterns, preset experiences, preset things you're used to, and you want to keep using those over and over again. Because, John, you did it so well. When your brain has to think, oh, I don't want to do that. It takes more energy. Mm-hmm. It takes more resources. Our brain takes up 20% of the resources of the body, and it's only 2% of the body. It's a hog. So we don't feed it appropriately, so it operates at an efficient level and makes you stay in your box. All right, we're starting to wind down. This That's is good stuff. Help, help. So number one, you have, to, you have to know how to attack it. CBT, DBT, understanding self-talk. You have to accept change. And how do you train your body that it's always going to change? The world is going to change. Then you gotta seek help. You gotta connect with your social groups physically. Force yourself to attend other non-like-you virtual environments. So if you're gonna stick in the virtual world, go outside the box of your current box. And then fight against your time discounting. I mean, from there you have to also, you gotta refire up your meetups, your one-on-one meetings if if you can. You've gotta get into therapy if you need that outlet to begin discussing some of these things. And ultimately, you gotta look at medication if medication is needed at the point that you're at. Medication will help stabilize your current situation to then start utilizing these tools. Because you can get to a certain point where none of these tools are gonna help because your brain is too far gone from a chemistry perspective. So you need the medication to stabilize, and then you can start working on these techniques. Explore these things. Talk to your physician if yes. you need to. Talk to psychologists if you need yes. to. Look at your Don't behavioral health modifications. Look at even people have alternative ideas and therapies and health and Right. All those things, like, but oh. do it intentionally. And Don't you, just yeah. get to the major crisis and, then you're and do it. If you are in a crisis, get help. Absolutely. But if you are creeping close or feeling like you're touching that edge, proactive. Sign, very simple warning signs. More isolation. Are you skipping meetings? Are you skipping face-to-face encounters? Are you even skipping electronic events, phone calls? You want to be more isolated. That's number one. Number two, stomach issues either in the form of poopy or in the form of throw-up or upset stomachs, more You're headaches. saying your body's going to manifest yes. something Ultimately, potentially. The, all, outside of actions, it will go to physical. Okay. And that's going to be migraines, more migraines, tummy issues, both uh-huh, bottom and top. Uh-huh. It's going to be um, it's a migraine, stomach issues, bottom to top. It's going to also be isol- deeper isolation. So when to look at some of these warning signs, and then start catching them early. And then putting it all together, exercise. If you do one thing right now to deal with this dilemma, walk once a day, 30 minutes. Get outside. 
Number two is control your sugar intake. Read anything about sugar, and it should scare the crap out of you. <laughs> control your sugar intake. Supplements, vitamin D, fish oil, vitamin B12, and magnesium, all great supplements to support a little bit better mental health. You've got to learn to retrain your mind around change, and that deals with the idea of CBT and then building out those techniques of DBT. Catch your self-talk. Train yourself to actually listen to what you're saying to yourself. And it will scare the crap out of you when you start listening. And realize that's where all the negative emotions are coming from and the negative actions. Get out of isolation. Learn how to embrace change and accept it. At least start saying to yourself, change is never going to change. It's always it's going to be constant. And ultimately adjust and document your beliefs and your purpose. If you do one of these, the second, first thing is exercise. The second thing is readjust your beliefs and purposes and purpose and write them down. Very good, David. I think this is really important. Let's just call this a primer, but the dilemma is here. It's the here. mental health dilemma is here. It's not going away. And like you said, really, one, something's going to replace whatever is in your brain for the next oh, yeah, crisis find, yep. of the world. And if these things are, are bothering you, bugging you, get help. Grab a hold of it. Be intentional. Thank you, David Manica. Thank you, John. Have a great one.